Hello and welcome to this, an episode of Crisis Conversations, a podcast from the British Red Cross. Hunger on a massive scale is looming across East Africa. The numbers now on the move in the region are threatening to overwhelm the aid agencies. The United Nations says large areas of Somalia, Ethiopia, Djibouti and Kenya are in crisis or an emergency. Millions of men, women and children are facing starvation and a desperate struggle to survive. Chances are, this time last year, you heard something about the drought in East Africa. A year later, the news crews have long since moved on, but the situation in the region remains severe. In this episode of Crisis Conversations, we ask, what does the future hold for this part of the world? And what is being done to help those in need? First off, I'm joined on the phone from Nairobi by Hassan Abdi-Jamar, a health coordinator with the Somali Red Crescent. Uh, in Somaliland, in general, in terms of uh, peace and stability, it is it's very good, and uh, the country is uh, it has been peaceful for many years now. But the challenge it has normally is the recurrent droughts that affect uh, people, especially the nomadic and, and, and the rural communities. I think uh, as many people care about it in Somaliland. Drought, uh, there was a uh, uh, lack of rain uh, for the last uh, three years, and that has resulted in a very bad drought where people lost their animals and many people now displaced from the rural communities. Perhaps you could tell me a little bit about how the, the drought is affecting you personally and your, your family and fr- close friends. Have you, have you had any experience of how has your situation changed over the last couple of years with the failed rains? I think personally it has affected me in different ways. Uh, when it comes to the work that I do, I mean, the drought that affected, it has affected my job. You know, as a result of 2016 drought, there was also other problems that resulted from the drought. For example, there was a high malnutrition rate, followed by an acute water diarrhea and cholera outbreak in, in, in the country. Uh, and then you can ma- imagine, for example, dealing with people affected by the droughts. People are sick, they lost their animals, and of course, sometimes you, you feel very, you know, uh, disappointed when you see a child who is suffering from the nutrition. And for example, uh, mother is also lost the animal, she doesn't have anything to feed, and the baby is brought into the hospital. And um, uh, she brought one child, and she has maybe other five or six children at home, and she left. And, you know, those things, you can feel how bad it is. So, uh, psychologically, it's also affecting us. And the other way it affects also is the, my family. Uh, for example, we depend on each other. If someone has got something that people, they call and they ask for support. And that is the, even uh, whether you are in country or outside the country. So, for example, people, uh, for example, in my family, they were calling me, for example, saying that they don't have food to give the, their children, they don't have uh, water. So, those are the major things. And somebody is sick, and then they need also that to take to the hospital. Yeah, I can see how, yeah. in some ways, that this uh, this story of yours might be replicated many times over. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about the, the cholera outbreak last year? I, I take it that came from people moving to the urban areas, living in kind of squalid conditions. Uh, 
uh, it was it was it was a serious uh, situation uh, uh, last year 2016. People were just struggling uh, with with the drought. Uh, there was, for example, uh, some rain started in uh, April, somewhere late April, and many people also many sorry many animals also died. And uh, for example, there was a lot of carcass everywhere. And then uh, people were dependent on rainwater, so you know the, the environment was not clean. And people, for example, just when they got the water, they were just using without treating those water. And also there was a population movement. And then also there was an, uh, a problem where the people were very weak because of the of the, of the drought that uh, affected them. So the immunity was low. So you can see that. Because of those uh, uh, complex uh, effects of the drought, then it, it started. How that's how it started. We set out to reach some of the most remote villages in Somaliland. There's an urgent crisis unfolding, largely unnoticed by the rest of the world. Families and children at risk of starvation. When everything else fails. This malnutrition ward, the only one in what is Somaliland's only referral hospital, is the last hope for children like Abdurrahman. Poor rains and three failed harvests mean millions of people are threatened with starvation. Somalia's newly inaugurated president has declared the drought a national disaster. I'm joined now by Luke Tredgett, who's the disaster management coordinator for the British Red Cross. So Luke, you've recently come back from the region. Is there someone that springs to mind when you think about your, your recent trip to Somaliland? Well, everyone was quite excited in the party I was in about um, a meeting with Mo Farah's twin brother, which I wasn't actually there, unfortunately, at the time, so I didn't meet him, but his twin brother does live in Somaliland. He is um, an identical twin, so he looks exactly like Mo Farah, and um, everyone was quite excited to meet him. He's one of many people that we met in the capital of Somaliland that um, has strong connections with the the UK, so it was interesting just to meet so many people in the capital, Hargeisa, where um, they grew up in Ealing or they have family in London and you have those sort of um, conversations that feel so um, familiar. But then when you drive to the bush and it takes you all day to drive out there, it's a completely different um, setup. You just kind of marvel at people um, living in such remote locations. And that's where I've definitely had the interactions with people which were the most inspiring and gratifying in particular the health workers that work on mobile clinics so these are Somali Red Crescent mobile clinics that go from village to village so each day they'll set up a tent in a village and then people can come and queue for health checks and for basic health care which just isn't provided by anywhere else and the people will carry on providing the health care well until it gets dark or until everyone has been um, seen to and then they'll just camp within that village before the next morning getting back into their vehicle driving to the next village and they do that six days a week then spend one day back in the capital just to restock on their medical supplies and yeah that was really impressive to see because you could see how welcome and how needed it was in those communities and also the health workers themselves They've been affected by the crisis. They've been affected by the drought and they're under pressure. And you can really sense that when you talk to them. But at the same time, they're delivering the service with a great deal 
of professionalism and real pride because they recognise how needed it is. In pastoral communities I think they're quite misunderstood because often people can go to these places and think well why are humans choosing to live in a desert like this but when you actually see their ability to keep these animals alive you understand that they actually are making food occur in places where no other food can be cultivated so they're actually um, creating something that's of benefit to the economy and to uh, society as a whole. Tell me a little bit about how these pastoralists are, are coping with the the ongoing drought in the region. Yeah well that's the the main problem is that as I said they're completely dependent on these animals not only are their livelihoods based on these herds of animals their whole culture is based around it I mean as pastoralists they move with the seasons to different areas where there's more water or there's more pasture for the animals so their lives are completely dependent on these animals who are in turn completely dependent on rain and when you have successive poor rainy seasons as has happened in Somalia and Kenya and in Ethiopia for a few years now you get a situation where the animals obviously don't have enough water to drink there's not enough vegetation for the animals to eat and then they quickly will sicken they'll become susceptible to diseases and um, they will die so what happens then during a drought is they have to um, they have to cut back on their intake of food and other vital um, things causing malnutrition or they'd have to sell off um, whatever assets they have um, or what we see most typically is people then move huge distances so there's over two million people in Somalia now who are displaced because they move to the fringe of bigger towns and cities and that creates a whole new raft of problems. Can you tell me about um, what the Red Cross is doing to support these pastoralists then? These droughts pose a huge threat to people's lives in the first instance so what we need to do and have been doing throughout Somalia and East Africa is just providing people with the means to actually um, survive through these times so that can be giving people um, actual food or preferably cash for us it's something that we're always trying to uh, promote and prioritise as a way of giving because lots of evidence now shows not only is giving people in these situations uh, giving them cash more cost effective so it's normally about 25% more cost effective than actually giving people say food or uh, essential items but it's also vastly preferable to the people themselves something like 80% of um, people that take part in surveys have said they prefer to receive cash uh, than food or other items and it's really easy to understand why I mean it just is so much more dignified and allows them to be so much more flexible because even though they, they find themselves in um, in these big crises where they are reduced to just being one of millions of people mm -hmm. that are um, in difficult situations they're all individuals that have different priorities different ways of thinking about how they want to cope and giving people cash in their hands just really you know, allows them to express their own individual coping approach. Sure, and I, I guess as well, they it helps, you know, it has a knock-on effect for local businesses and markets and so forth, keeping them running. Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, in Somalia, one of the main ways that people get water is sometimes they have um, water trucking. So rather than um, having a tap in their house or going to the local well, they'll have a local... Um, trucking service, a, a private provider that will come round and fill a big tank that will be outside their house and if you as an aid agency 
come in and actually start distributing water, you're interfering with that local economic system. So people already have this way of dealing with the mm -hmm. fact that there's not much water in society. And by providing cash, you allow those systems to continue rather than bringing in your own new amounts of uh, water or goods that actually interfere with the systems that are already there. I mean, this, this situation seems to have been going on for a long time now. And um, there was a, a big crisis in 2011 where a quarter of a million people died, sadly. And then 2017, we, we launched an appeal. Mm. Um, and it seems like 2018 is going to be a difficult year again in East Africa. Mm. Just what, what does the future hold for the, for the region? How, how can we prevent this kind of cyclical crisis from occurring? Well, I mean, that is the, the key term, is cyclical in the, in the way that this part of Africa is subject to drought. As you say, in 2011, that was a particularly bad situation. So the drought was no worse necessarily than um, the one we've had in the last couple of years, but it did cause many more people to die. So an estimated 260,000 people lost their lives. That was due to multiple factors, one of which was that the humanitarian sector didn't respond nearly as quickly as it should when the first warning signs came out. Fortunately, in 2016, that memory was still very alive in everyone's minds. So when the warning signs first came out towards the end of 2016 that we were heading for another failed rains, a big response was put into action. And then throughout 2017, there's been massive humanitarian aid all through Somalia and other parts of East Africa. So something like 3 million people each month receive life-saving support. And that's played a big part in the fact that we haven't seen famine happen in 2017 um, in Somalia. Um, and finally Luke, can you just tell me a little bit about um, what kind of future innovations in in these types of responses mm. where drought is such a, you know, such a big driver for mm. humanitarian need. What what kind of things are we thinking about doing in the future or kind of piloting at the minute? Yeah, that's a really good question because I, th I think everyone appreciates that droughts happen all around the world and they don't result in these humanitarian crises so there's definitely things that can be done to limit the impact so something that we've been doing quite a lot of in the past and what we did after 2011 is try to support people to have more diverse livelihoods to take up other um, forms of agriculture that uh, could then be uh, a fallback if their animals were really struggling in a drought so beekeeping for example or fishing more for communities that live close to the coast but there's also recognition that we can do a lot more besides encouraging people to take up other jobs and one of the things that we can do is become even more responsive to these forecasts when they happen so um, there's no reason why if a forecast comes out saying there's going to be a bad rainy season why we can't respond immediately we don't have to wait for the rains to actually um, show that they're quite poor before we actually go to the people that are um, in those areas. Since the start of 2017, the Red Cross movement has provided life-saving support to over 2.8 million people in the region. This includes giving cash grants to over 700,000 people. To find out more about how you can support our work in the region, search British Red Cross East Africa today. Credit for the news clips goes to ITV Channel 4, ABC, the DEC, Al Jazeera and the British Red Cross. This has been Crisis Conversations, a podcast from the British Red Cross. Thanks for listening.